tinfoil hat. Oh, what the fuck are you guys even talking about? Global controls will have to be imposed. And a world-governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to tinfoil hat. We, we, we go deep, homeboy. Aaron, open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. Dude, you just blew my mind. the tinfoil hat you know i am you know i'm here to i'm here to rock yes join me as always is my partner crime xavier guerrero and to know him is to love him even though i can't see him because he is hidden in camouflage everybody's favorite white nationalist johnny woodard aka jay nice look at that where is he oh there he is just a floating head is that all you see look at that that's so crazy just a floating nerdy head undercover brother uh, where are you in North Carolina right now? Yes, living that dream. I am. I am. Johnny, do you do you always think like maybe I should stay out in North Carolina? Do you think that? No, I don't. No. <laughs> it, it, dude, I've been here four days, rained every day, all day. Oh, Just yeah. rain and lightning. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Well, I'm glad that I'm sure they got you back. How's your aunt and her her black boyfriend doing? I haven't talked to my aunt in a while. Oh, why, Johnny? She's a huge fan of yours, yet you... Well, she doesn't so, live near me, so I don't, I don't Okay, see her. well, you can use the phone. Yeah. Call her up. No, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I, don't, I barely please. call the people in that I'm really close to. And my yeah, aunt, I mean, we're Johnny, not that close. you never called me, ever. You don't care. I thought you loved me. You don't. We talked Guys, like yesterday. What are you talking about? That's true. A lot of things are going on with Tim Fall Hat, man. A lot of things. Uh, one thing going on is we have a show that I believe is close to so out, sold out. So if you love the Tim Fall Hat Comedy Night and you're in San Diego, you better buy your tickets now. I think a couple of days ago there were 20 left, so I'm pretty sure we're done. We're done. But if you go to samtriplee.com, you can get tickets to all of my shows. So this Saturday we are in San Diego. It is a 420 show. I'm 420. How excited is that? I'm trying to make some 420 shirts. We'll see if that gets done. So go to San Diego. If you want to uh, see us, myself, Eddie Bravo, Xavier Guerrero, uh, and a whole bunch of others at the American Comedy Club. That is the American Comedy Company. That is a 420 show. Then the following week, we're back in Texas. We're doing a show at Hyenas Dallas. Move to the big show. Yeah, the big room. It's Tim Fall Hat Comedy Night. Uh, we already had a bunch of tickets sold for the stand-up. But the next show is uh, Swarm Tank. Trust me, you're going to love it. Grab your tickets now. And then the following day, we are in OKC for another 420 show. Grab your tickets. A lot of great shows are coming up. Just go to samtriplee.com. Now, if you missed the Discord, because they're constantly blowing it up, there's actually a Discord that is available. I believe it's called uh, Hat Tin Foilers. If you go to that, you can find that on the Discord. But if you're tired of people nuking the Discord, just go to chat.samtriplee.com. And you can join Smack. It is my version of Discord. It's Smack. You'll never worry about it getting nuked. That's chat.com. Excuse me. Chat.samtriply.com. Okay. And join my 
Discord that I call Smack. All available there. If you're looking to support the show, our our shirts are pure fire right now. Shape-shifting Jesus. This version of a tinfoil hat. I know some of you guys don't like the Dodgers, but I love the Dodgers. This is We get it in white, blue, gray. It's all available there. And then conspiracy smoke show shirts should be available they should be on there i gotta ask them if they're there conspiracy smoke shows uh my uh zoltan and my cousin jade were nice enough to help design a shirt so uh go check that out now i'm cranking out the uh cranking out cranking out the uh, the 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 premium content it's all available in one place rockfin.com r-o-k-f-i-n.com you can get all of our shows, whether it's Zero, Conspiracy Social Club with Brian Callen, uh, what else do we got? The GOAT, the greatest of all time sports talk. Uh, first look at Broken Simulation, and we don't smoke the same. All available there uh, at rockfin.com. Go check it out and support us because we need your support because we're rocking so hard right johnny and how's broken sim doing people can't stop talking about it it's doing great it's always doing great it's uh it's the greatest show in the history of vietnam time time okay that's you what did we talk about this week haunted our haunted studio yeah well the the, well well, this is we were recording and this the the camera just started zooming out just i was i mean nobody was near it and it just started zooming out on sam like this cinematic slow pull out so it's I think we have shit. like the ghost of a cinema, a Hollywood, because it's in Hollywood, our studio of a Hollywood cinematographer who just goes around like pulling focus and you know yeah. zooming and in. Trust me on this, Johnny. That's the only pulling out that anybody on this show does. Am I right, guys? Hundred percent. Hundred percent. You can't with Luke. <laughs> oh yeah, conspiracy mo shows t-shirts are up there. So go get them. They're female t-shirts. And how dope was that tattoo that guy got on him? So. Yeah, dude. First of all, I want to thank again the uh, Alaskan Swarm for coming out wow. to Alaska and rocking. I mean, I go to places. I'm like, there's n- who knows if anyone listens to the show. And everybody showed up. I had a lot of people going, dude, I wanted to show up, but it was salmon fishing day. The first day of salmon fishing, the salmon are coming. So I understand. Hopefully, we'll come back soon. But I love the swarm. There's a guy who just got a T-shirt of Tim Fall Hat uh, aliens. Some guy did graffiti i'm blown away we're always blown away that anyone listens to the show obviously we put out a lot of episodes last week and we got up to number 58 we love you very much if if you want to watch the show because we've been shadow banned everywhere just go to samtriplee.com find the show there and the thing about samtriplee.com is each show has its own 24-hour-a-day radio station that you can listen to older episodes there. So if you want to chill and hear me over and over and over and over again, bam, just go to samtriplee.com. It's all there, man. It's all listen.samtriplee.com. Anything else, guys? Hey, if we weren't shadow banned, what number would we be? I don't know, dude. I think Google Play shadow bans us like a mofo. I really do. So I don't know. I know. See, the big problem is that when you're not on YouTube, people forget about you. So it's like we would be getting more listens across the board if we could post on YouTube. Is that stupid channel still posting, Johnny? Oh, man. Yeah, it is. But the, the problem is, I, I think the rumor is that 
whoever that is that's doing that uh they can't they're due to a number of circumstances they can't access the channel uh where they are right now so or when anyway so it's not going to be posted for a while probably i would imagine it you'll see some new videos there maybe when uh Probably well, around the time I is, get back to LA. Let them so, know I'll know. fight them, Johnny. That's because we, we hit them with the lawsuit. We hit them with the lawsuit, right? Is that why they're suing them? Yeah, that's it. No, no, we don't. We don't. Let them post. Let them post. Let's okay. not. We're don't, let don't them post we don't want people reporting the channel. No, don't, don't. report the yeah. channel. Let them just let them just put it out. But just know and if it. I see a dang nabbit, <laughs> I'm gonna to the moon. To the moon. Okay. Uh, we have a great show. Very excited. We have Taylor Hudak on talking about the false flag of Kent State and how it's basically connected to what we saw in Michigan with the quote-unquote governor uh, kidnapping and January 6th. It's a great show. She's wonderful at her job, and we're honored to have her on. Please enjoy the show. Drink from the fountain of Okay, knowledge. let's get into it. Super excited for today's uh, guest. I saw her article and I'm like, oh man, I have to talk to her about this because it is seems to be the beginning of a giant pattern that we've seen in US culture and politics. She's an independent journalist. Please welcome to the show, Taylor Hudak. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks for having me. Taylor, thanks for joining us. I really do appreciate it. I'm very excited to talk to you about your article and anything else you wanna talk about. Uh, to start off, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself in case they don't know about you? Absolutely. So I am an independent journalist and I tend to cover issues related to the corruption of the intelligence community, issues related to free speech, free press, the First Amendment, as well as censorship, surveillance, data gathering, and also uh, your latest internet news as well I've been taking on, as well as uh, COVID-19 and sort of uh, looking into the uh, different perspectives uh, with the virus and with the official narrative as well. But uh, today we're here to talk about uh, an article published a few months ago, but um, new documents uh, have surfaced uh, related to May 4th, 1970 at Kent State University. So I'm just really looking forward to really diving into that. Uh, I wanna get into uh, that in a moment because it does involve something you brought up, which is the corruption with, within our intelligence community. Uh, recently an article came out that can somewhat be considered duh, but I think it's important to talk about, and that is uh, Pegasus, the Pegasus software that is now being found on people's phones. And, you know, I think if you have one of these, you're somewhat, okay, they know what I'm doing. They're collecting the data yeah. somewhere. But I think a lot of people might not realize that, like, if the right software is on there, it can pin you to where you are. And now we're seeing that two people that were assassinated, the, it's believed that their phone had the Pegasus software on their phone, which allowed certain uh, entities to know exactly where they are. And it could be involved in, the, you know, leading to the assassination. What is your thoughts on that topic? 
Yeah, so first of all, I'm really happy to see this information come out. It's one more step towards accountability. Unfortunately, we do not see enough accountability, so it will be interesting uh, to see what comes uh, with this, but at least it's more awareness. And I think that it just really goes to show uh, the great lengths that the intelligence communities will go to to censor people, to surveil people, and to also cause harm to people they consider to be targets and uh, dissidents. This is a pattern that we are seeing happen time in time again. As I said, I uh, covered the Assange case extensively. He was spied on, targeted by the CIA. His entire family was, his children are. And of course, these journalists, not just Assange, but journalists all over the world who are in particular studying and investigating uh, issues related to national security are going to be targets of the intelligence community. And we see this becoming a global effort. And I think that uh, we are going to see just more of this come out, but I think awareness is our first step, as I said, to accountability, if there ever will be accountability, of course. Yeah, I mean, that's the question. Uh, what can be done to rein in our just out of control intelligence community? And ultimately, the question is, who do they work for? I mean, more and more, and this could even be said on law enforcement. Again, I have a lot of family in law enforcement. My grandfather was a cop. I have family members who are currently cops. But more and more, it just seems like they are the bouncers for the elites, stormtroopers. And they're not really going to do anything unless the elites are, in fact, in, in danger. I mean, these Antifa riots we saw only going into poor and middle class. And when, when they walked even near like Beverly Hills, everybody freaked out. You're like, but you're upset with the system. Those seem to be the people who are controlling the system. Yet nothing happened over there. Not that I'm calling for it, but it just seems like they picked their, their spots really well. And then we see this with, with basically the FBI. I mean, whether it's the finders, called stuff like that we see them picking and choosing where they apply law enforcement i mean who do you think our law enforcement works for oh the intelligence community i would say that the politicians we see on the news and they're they're more so the public face of what's going on uh, behind the scenes really i think that it comes down to the intelligence community who is directing everything here and i think that's been going on for some time now and i think too that uh, politicians obviously get uh corrupted police get corrupted as well and uh, just recently i actually did a report where i covered uh it was a it was a news story where oh, they did a sort of um content analysis of new police tactics and law enforcement tactics. And it showed that over the past five years, as people become more tech savvy, law enforcement also becomes more tech savvy and they build closer relationships with big tech. And there were over like 100,000 requests from all of the major big tech platforms combined to request for user data when it came to their investigations into uh, specific targets. And in 85% of cases, Microsoft, Facebook, Apple, the other big tech giants were willing to just hand over that information. So I think that's another angle that we should also be concerned about is this merging of big tech, law enforcement, and uh, the intelligence community as well. I recently uh, saw a report. That, that yeah. sounds like fascism to me. I mean, <laughs> it certainly does. Hey guys, I want to tell you about our friends at Movement. That's right. Uh, in a tiny apartment in Southern Cal, two college dropouts 
teamed up to create a watch company that broke all the rules with fair prices, unexpected colors, and clean original designs. Movement grew into a, the fastest growing watch brand, shipping to over 160 countries across the globe. Now movement has expanded into the blue light glasses that protect your eyes from screens, minimalist jewelry, and more stylist essentials that don't break the bank, all designed out of, a Cal- out of their California headquarters. On July 20th, movement is celebrating their eight-year anniversary by running a huge st- site-wide sale okay every single thing is 28% off that's 28% off all their best-selling watches blue light glasses jewelry and more dude have you seen this the the watches are amazing and I I ordered my glasses I can't wait guess what's coming back guys my 80s rapper look okay Uh they got those glasses and they're shipping it now by the next show, I should have them, and I will be looking like the white rapper you guys always knew and loved, okay? Mm-hmm. Are you ready for that, Xavier Guerrero? Dude, I'm wearing the shades during the show, the whole show on the next show. Yeah, I love them, dude, and the watches are great. Johnny, are you going to wear a watch finally like your father and his father's father and their father did? I've always worn a watch, I, and I'm excited to see it. Yeah, I can't wait for it to get here. I can't wait. I love it, dude. I'm excited. I got the glasses. I got a watch. I'm going to look like I am a responsible punk rocker. And that's what it's all about. So here's what I want you guys to do. Guys, you got to check out their website, okay? You got to check out their website. So here's... Don't miss Movement's biggest sale of the year. Just go to mvmt.com slash tinfoil and enjoy 28% off, okay? That's 20% off site-wide at mvmt.com slash tinfoil. Join the movement, everybody. I love it. I'm so honored they're they're working with us on the show. I love these guys for a partnership. The, the watches look insane. The glasses look insane. Get cool. Rock out. I, I, and I get in fights with people who are maz- mostly uh, private accounts on Instagram. And that's how you know they're bots. Uh, and they really want to talk about how that's not fascism. That's corporatocracy. I'm like, it's still fascism. It's just a different form of fascism. When giant corporations with which big tech is, at least that's what the persona is. I, I 100% believe that the, like, let's say the Facebook movie was a giant facade to paint a picture of this kid who just was an outfit casting you know at this college who came up with this thing and now it's huge and you're like uh, or is it life log that the pentagon stopped well, on I mean, the day that that cor- that facebook was registered as a business the day they stopped life log which was to collect all your data all the time you know and now you're looking at the facebook you're looking at twitter you're looking at Amazon, you know, Jeff Bezos father, grandfather started DARPA. There's all these connections to uh, the government intelligence. And now we were competing against our own government, which is to me, a form of, of Marxism and cash and, and eventually communism. And I hate saying that because growing up when I people like, Oh, the communists, I'm like, Oh, whatever, crazy old guy. And I am old and I am crazy now. So maybe that's where I am, but that seems to be where we're heading. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. I was just going to also uh, 
say here that I'm working on uh, a new project. There are solutions here. Um, I'm working on a new project, new social media called panquake.com. And this is a, as I said, a new social media that is not going to be collecting your data, not going to be censoring you. And it is also going to be a platform for everybody. So there are initiatives to sort of take on big tech. It can be done. It's a project that I very much uh, endorse and that I would encourage everybody to check out. Again, that is uh, panquake.com. But I think that we are seeing, as I said, the merging of law enforcement, uh, our government agencies, the intelligence community with big tech. Just the other day, of course, we saw uh, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki say that they're monitoring Facebook posts. And then I said, wow, what does that say about our governments? The fact that they are okay with announcing this to the public tells me that they believe that we will accept this. And unfortunately, some people are accepting it. Whatever your perspective is on COVID-19 and so-called disinformation, nobody should be advocating for censorship and for the monitoring of your Facebook posts or your social media posts or private communications. Unfortunately, that's happening. They've pinpointed 12 accounts. It's just so absurd. The fact in itself that they're doing that is absurd, but I think what's even more telling, as I said, is the fact that they can admit this. They're not even hiding it. Oh, I totally agree. That means they've kicked the camp pretty far down the road. Right. And they're like, what are you going to do about it? And, and, and as we go through time, you know, this whole thing about misinformation, it's only misinformation if it goes against government narrative. I mean, the Gulf of Tonkin was complete and utter misinformation. Weapons of mass destruction, misinformation. Russian collusion, Russiagate, misinformation. I mean, it's just over and over and over again. And imagine if you held the media to the exact same, the mainstream media to the exact same uh, criteria that you want to hold independent journalists to. We would, there would be no CNN and MSNBC or Fox News. They would be gone. Oh, absolutely. They are the biggest um, pushers of disinformation and misinformation. Rachel Maddow, every single day for two, three years, which was pushing the Russiagate narrative, which I always thought was absolutely ridiculous, but now we know was complete, uh, complete nonsense and just not factually correct. And I think that if you look over time too, many things that were considered conspiracy theories turned out to be true. And then we just ignore the fact that we previously called them conspiracy theories. So um, I think that if you're gonna get truth, you're gonna probably get it in the independent media, not the corporate media who is bought and paid for as your viewers know that of course. <laughs> Somebody, I'm trying to look up her uh, tweet. Somebody tweeted something very funny. Uh, oh, this person, Dave Hurt said, it seems like conspiracy theories these days are just really spoiler alerts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, just a year ago, many people who were in the independent media covering this COVID-19 crisis were warning a vaccine passport saying, hey, if there is a vaccine, I feel like they're going to push for this. We could be entering this territory of vaccine passports where you have to show, again, proof of vaccination or a negative test result to just get basic goods and services, to just go to the grocery store, to go to a bar or a restaurant. That was deemed totally crazy and you yeah. can talk about it. And now what are we seeing happening in France? They have vaccine passports. Now, of course, I think they're starting to reel back a little bit on that, but it, that's just one very recent example of something that uh, was considered to be conspiracy theory turns out to be true. And of course, conspiracy theory is just a smear to use against people to uh, discredit them because you hear that phrase or that term and you think, oh, 
that's uh, nonsense. Don't want to be associated with that. Unfortunately, it's effective sometimes. I'm all about that action, though. I'm all about that. So I, I basically think it, and this is why this conversation could not be uh, better timed because just last week it came out that the 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 quote unquote attempted kidnap of the Michigan governor by fifteen uh, uh, white supremacist nationalists. That it turns out twelve of them were FBI informants, and that's the new word. And we saw that term used with the Haitian uh, assassination of the Haitian president as well. Uh, Informants, which sounds like to me, uh, agent provocateurs uh, sent in to uh, basically get some uh, dim-witted idiot who pushed to take a certain kind of action to get a certain kind of results so that the government could take their own kind of action. There's, uh, you know, add their own solution to it. Uh, so that's why this conversation is so important. Do you have any thoughts on the Michigan thing or have you looked into it at all? That main leader, he was a homeless person. They, <laughs> they're like three of them. They couldn't even gather up $3,000 and they need a certain amount to buy the bombs. And the government was just like, here, we're going to give them to you since you can't gather up the money. Unbelievable. Unreal. Unbelievable. I mean, we see this over and over. The Tondawanda 12 or whatever they called, they were infiltrated. We have the Fort Hood. A family is suing uh, the FBI because of their invisible hand in some shooting that either happened or was going to happen. We see it. Oh, I mean, the WikiLeaks drops that basically uh, Stephen Paddock was either a CIA or FBI uh agent uh, 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 agent provocateur I mean it just happens over and over but this is why I'm really excited to have this discussion about what happened at Kent State so I think it's more relevant than ever so where do you want to start on all this Taylor yeah so I just want to drive home the point here that this tactics we are seeing today the infiltration the entrapment has been going on since the beginning of the existence of intelligence uh, agencies and in the intelligence community and so that's a big theme of um, my article that's really sort of an interview as well but I would like to just start out how I got a hold of these documents. It's actually an interesting story. So of course, this is about May 4th, 1970, where four students were shot, nine others were injured. This was during a anti, an anti-Vietnam War protest. Now, I uh, went to Kent State University. I worked at the university as well while I was in grad school. And it was at this time that I came in contact with these documents. I worked in, I was not a professor, but I worked in the communications department. And I basically just wrote stories, made videos about the university that were lighthearted, good stories, um, really a communications role, marketing role, was not the place for investigative journalism, but I always knew in my career, that's what I wanted to do. So I was tasked with, uh, working on a project for the 50th anniversary. So this was, um, a year ago, a year and a half, yeah, a year ago. And I was told to visit this website. It was Glenn Frank's website, and I'll just um, provide it now. It is glennwfrankmay4.com. And basically this professor who had a really significant role during um, the shootings and preventing hundreds of deaths, he spent the rest of his life, the next 20 years of his life, 
uh, dedicated to researching what really happened on that day. And so I got in touch with the creators of the website or the owners of the website. And that's how I got in touch with his son, Alan Frank. Alan Frank was present on the day. He was at um, the scene where the shootings took place. He was not protesting, actually. He was just walking by. And so he had you know, met with me, we did an interview, and then he told me about all these documents that he had. Some of them are already uh, published. Some of them are notes that his dad uh, took down during phone calls. Again, I can't independently verify uh, all of the claims made, but we'll get into that specifically. And then as well as some documents that haven't been published that are internal communications among the police and all of it really points to a intelligence community effort in collaboration with the university, local law enforcement uh, to cover up this situation for certain and maybe even create uh, the situation that happened uh, on that day. So that's a very broad overview, but I was presented with these uh, documents while I was working at the university. I then just moved on to pursue a career in independent journalism as I always wanted to. And then uh, the past few months, I got an offer to write something up about Kent State. And then I remembered, oh, I have this story. I need to, I really need to um, publish this because I couldn't have access to these documents and not publish them. Uh, there still are more. And so that's kind of how this uh, all came about. Today's episode is brought to you by our good friends at Athletic Greens, the most comprehensive daily nutritional beverage I've ever tried, okay? With so many stressors in life, it's difficult to maintain effective nutritional habits and give our body the nutrition nutrients it needs to thrive, okay? Busy schedule, poor sleep, exercise, stress, or simply not eating enough of the right foods, okay? This is where Athletic Greens can help, okay? Their daily all-in-one superfood powder is your nutritional essentials, okay? It is by far the easiest, most delicious nutritional habit that you can add to your health routine today and empower you to take over your health okay own your health ownership of your health that's what we're talking about i can't recommend this enough to friends or family okay one tasty scoop of athletic greens contains 75 vitamins minerals and whole food source ingredients including a multivitamin multi-mineral probiotic green foods blend and more that all work together to fill in the gaps in your diet, okay? Increase your energy and your focus, aid with digestion, and supports a healthy immune system, all without having to take multiple vitamins, multiple products, okay? So this is what what's going on right now, dude, okay? Right now, Athletic Greens is doubling down on supporting your immune system during these spring months, okay? They are offering my audience free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packets with your first purchase. If you visit my link today, you're basically never have to buy vitamin D again. Okay. I just tell all my friends, all my family, I drink this every day, every morning, kickstarts my day, getting my multi, uh, my nutritional greens and getting my multivitamin, multimillionaire, probiotic, superfood to kick off the day. All right. I tell all my family and friends to do it. So this is what I need you to do. Simply visit athleticgreens.com slash tinfoil and join health experts, athletes, conspiracy podcasters, and health conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to their health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash tinfoil and get your free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packets today. So it's so interesting. Now, you want to be an independent 
independent uh, reporter journalists, these are the stories you wanted to do? Yes. So I wanted to cover uh, corruption. I want to cover issues, as I said, related to free speech, free press, the First Amendment, censorship. Um, that is really my focus area. So I have your article here, and I just want to kind of start from the start about basically what happened. So do you basically you have the timeline of events and on April 30th, President Richard Nixon announces the invasion of Cambodia, a country that remained neutral during the Vietnam War. Now there's already stuff about why we were in Vietnam. The, the whole story was that we wanted to stop the domino effect of, of basically China bringing communism to Vietnam. And if you watch the movie Fog of War, McNamara says, that they didn't get along. There was ne that was never really an option for uh, for this to come out. Now, based on stories that we've done on the show before, a big part of going into Vietnam was the poppy fields, the golden triangle, and we see that as a big reason why we go into Afghanistan is we wanted to take over their poppy fields for our big pharmaceutical companies, which was a big part of World War One to get basically to get the pharmaceutical industry out of Germany and into the United States because Germany was starting to bang with the, you know, Bank of England and we they couldn't have that. Let's move it over to the United States where our government and everything is kind of starting to grow. So we have this thing now they want to go into. And I think the Vietnam War represents a very special time in our country in that the elites kind of realize, oh, the masses are getting really smart. They're coming together, they're, they're protesting, whether it's civil rights, whether it's the Vietnam War, but we're looking at this group of people that are very, very intelligent. And I think that begins the slow process to erode the educational system in the United States and the family unit. We start to see a big push to kind of destroy the nuclear family unit, uh, which has led to kind of chaos in this country. Uh, what are your thoughts on all that, Taylor? Yeah, that's a pretty good summary. So I will say that uh, the Vietnam War, obviously complete disaster. They knew that. They knew that there was no way we could win this war because of the terrain, the decrease in morale as well. Now, of course, this era was a very unique time frame, and there was obviously a very distinct generational gap. So um, the young people during this era who were counterculture, who were protesting, the war in Vietnam, their parents were from the 1950s, leave it to beaver culture. And so there was this very significant um, clash and generational gap as well that I think sort of plays a role in all of this. Um, you know, the 50s was a time I think of uh, conformity and of discipline, whereas in the 40s, and then you go into 60s, 70s, and it's more of an era of uh, free love. There was the sexual revolution, the I don't want to call it a drug revolution because that doesn't make sense. But the introduction of, you know, psychedelics and um, other drugs into our culture. So there was so much going on at this time. I think people began to question uh, the norms. And that was obviously within this uh, counterculture. Now, I also, though, real quick, think that a lot of that stuff was also manufactured through this through the CIA to, again, erode the family unit and the educational system, uh, drugs, 
And listen, dude, I'm pro. I'm pro women. I think feminism has a lot of great stuff going. It's a you know equality across the board, regardless of what you're born, uh, is obviously to me common sense. Uh, but there's this big movement to kind of destroy the family unit, and I think a lot of it comes out of the '60s and '70s. The hippie culture, a lot of it coming out of Hate Hay- Ashbury. Whether it's Charles Manson or the Grateful Dead, we see a lot of connections to the CIA, and this is all about destroying again the family unit in the way that you saw that destroy. Uh, the black community with the drug wars, we see these kind of counterculture movements uh, to destroy the family unit, in my humble opinion. That's really interesting. So I will say that, yes, um, I think it's very, well, we know that uh, the CIA was funding these uh, experiments, the, uh, you know, famous electrical aid acid test. Uh, The CIA was very much uh, funding this and funding these other uh, programs like MKUltra and um, that sort of thing, which they claim is no no longer exists, but who knows? Who can know for sure? These yeah, are right. so deceptive. Um, can we really believe that that's no longer taking place anymore? And a good point that you raised that just reminded me of something too, is that I think we also need to be cautious of the fact like these uh, social justice movements that arise are oftentimes uh, used by the establishment to pin us against each other. Yeah, astroturfing. Yeah, and I think that's like a really important thing to be aware of. I, you know, these different movements, while um, obviously equality is so important, the establishment does not want us to be um, working together. They, they want issues because that creates division and uh, their ability to maintain authority and power is uh, far easier when you have a divided public and not a unified public. I gotta be honest with you. I'm starting to think Johnny's a little radicalized with his camouflage right now. I'm sorry about that. Johnny, are you uh-huh. white nationalist right now? No, I, this, is called, this is called being in the, in the South, the American uh- South. Okay. That's what All this right. is. Um, so, you know, Kent State, obviously, um, you know, a lot of times we see, uh, you know, cause something, you know, have a reaction to it, then have a solution to it. And it sounds like to me, Kent State was a great example of what they were trying to do. Um, do you want to get into that right now? Yeah, definitely. So I think to understand what happened on that day, it's important to understand what happened uh, the days prior. And there's one incident that I want to bring your attention to that is very, very interesting. Now, this happened on May 2nd. This was on, yes, Saturday, May 2nd. This was the day that the Ohio National Guard was ordered to duty um, by then Ohio Governor Rhodes. This was after receiving a request from Kent Mayor Satrum. He was fearful that so-called radicals would destroy the city. And of course, there was some uh, commotion, some, I wouldn't necessarily necessarily say violence or riots, but protests were happening because, as you said, of um, President Nixon's announcement that the U.S. invaded Cambodia, a country which remained neutral during the Vietnam War after he promised to de-escalate the uh, war efforts. So there were things that were happening really starting on Friday, May 1st. But again, I want to go back to um, or move ahead to Saturday, May 2nd, in particular the evening. So 
the S it really escalated um, that day when the ROTC building went up in flames and radical protesters are blamed for this. However, to this day, it is really unclear who caused uh, the fire. And I was speaking, as I said, with Alan Frank, and he told me that Alan Canfora, who is another very well-known activist, unfortunately he has passed away, I think in late 2020, he, Alan Frank told me that Alan Canfora told him that he and the others who were there at the ROTC building were trying to start a fire for an hour and a half. Once they left, the building then went up in flames. So very strange. And, and here's where it gets very weird. If you look at the FBI report and it shows who they were investigating as to who was involved with this fire, there's about 20 people and half of them have their names and faces redacted. Alan Canfora is among them, but his face is there, his name is there. There are others as well, but half of them are redacted. And you have to wonder why would the FBI redact the names and faces of so-called radicals? Does that make any sense? And it goes even beyond that. So there was also um, documents that showed that weapons were present um, at the ROTC building. And this was in an effort to prevent the uh, fire trucks from putting the fire at, out. And um, it was said that people there, these so-called radicals ran up, they took the fire hoses and they slashed them with machetes and ice picks. And in this particular document that I have um, accompanying the article, it shows the evidence that they found there, which was a 32 caliber revolver, um, one section of the fire hose and a machete style knife, all of which was returned to who knows because it's redacted. Um, it's returned to specific individuals though, their names are blacked out. So that to me, while we can't say for certain those are infiltrators or police or um, cops, it seems pretty obvious that that's what happened. Yeah, and that was used as a justification to uh, increase the presence of the Ohio National Guard. So I think that's just one very interesting point. And Alan Frank told me that we will learn a lot once we have our hands on the unredacted, what he calls fire report. Uh, so, so they gave somebody back their weapons. I mean, when does that ever happen in the history exactly. of time? <laughs> it's so bizarre. It makes no sense and we've seen over and over this scenario play out play out over and over again where it's like you know law enforcement i mean i, I hate to tell everybody this sounds exactly like january 6th i'm gonna be honest with you everybody yeah. i mean it just i mean you we have videos of cops opening doors moving gates letting people in you're having like a full-on i'm IMAX Dolby Digital sound stage almost as he's as Viking guy is walking down with lighting. I wonder how many times he had to re they had to do retakes for coverage. I mean, it's just it's it sounds exactly like the same thing. Absolutely. And during our conversation, he in fact uh, brings that up, and he said we can't even trust the official reports because there's no trust in. Uh, the FBI, there's no trust in the investigators intelligence community, but 100% um, the event on January 6th, when I first saw those reports of people in uh, on Capitol Hill, I, I thought this is just not right. This is 
there is something seriously going on here because they were just allowed to go into um, the building. They were let in and there's been so much secrecy. There's been so many um, lies surrounding what happened on that day. And then here you have uh, the Biden administration release its I can't remember the exact term for it, but it was a counterterrorism or uh, disinformation uh, report and how the White House is going to ensure that, or domestic terrorism prevention report, something like that, where they cite January 6th as a reason uh, to further surveil and uh, initiate these different counterterrorism programs. So it's the problem reaction uh, solution. Yeah. It happened time and time again. You know, I was speaking with, um, an economist, so somebody in a different field, uh, just the other day, and uh, he said to me, you know, anytime in order, if you look throughout history, in order to really change the system, there almost always has to be a crisis all the time, and it's true. Well, I'm telling you right now, January 6th is starting to become the Kwanzaa of uh, events where it's like a small group of people act like it's a big deal and everyone's like, what's going on here? I mean, it really is the emperor's new clothes and it's getting zero traction and they're just pushing it. And that's really what I think is such a big deal right now. We have we have a government with no representation. We have taxation with no representation. I mean, what is going on with the Middle East? What is going on with that? Syria? I mean, no, every single president, with the exception of Biden, for the last couple, I mean, the last, I, I'm going to go Obama, Trump, were voted in with the thought of let's end these wars. And they're not. They're just continuing Syria, continuing false flag information constantly about what's going on over there misinformation left and right from the mainstream media and they just keep marching forward there is no accountability from what the people want from their own representation and it's like i understand why women go crazy when guys hit on them and try to hook up and they say what we say whatever we want to say try to score and and women go nuts i'm starting to get that because that's what happens every four years with our uh, with the election process, where they tell us what we want to hear, and as soon as we vote them in, all of a sudden they do whatever, and we're like, ah, I'm going crazy. I'm just going to eat ice cream and cry, you know? So, I mean, that seems to be where we're going right now, and that seems to be one of the things that's happened at Kent State, this giant cause and reaction, right, solution. This seems to be where we're at. Exactly. And, you know, we can't rely on elected leaders to solve our problems either. But you're right. People generally do not like war. They do not want to be at war. They don't understand why we are there because it's for ridiculous, uh, false, made up reasons. And I don't see much changing uh, through an election or through any uh, politician in particular. You know, President Trump tried to or he said he was going to try to pull out of uh, Afghanistan and the Middle East. And you saw people on the left who you would assume would be anti-war and very much in favor of this, then say, oh, no, it's too soon. That's irresponsible. We can't do that. It's just so absolutely uh, ridiculous. And I would say that so much of you know what we hear on especially mainstream media and from our government, 90%, 95% has to be completely fabricated or at least deceptive in some in some way, shape, or form. Uh, fortunately, the uh, statistics do show that more and more people are tuning into independent media. The trust 
within the mainstream corporate media is on the decline. The viewership is also on the decline. So that's one positive thing. And, and you know, this is a continuation of, you know, this movement by the Nixon administration and all the presidents around there to demonize the anti-war movement which is basically uh, gone from the mainstream media today. There is no, I mean, you have quote unquote liberal Democrats calling for regime change everywhere. And you're like, what the, what the fuck is going on here? Is this is a clown bizarro world. But back then, same thing with the CIA, same thing, excuse me, with Charles Manson, which was to push his hippie culture. And then this whole, we'll get, and then we're going to do an episode on what really went down with Charles Manson, but it was this demonization of the hippie movement. Same thing with this Kent state where they basically wanted to, to basically paint anti-war protests as dangerous people, dangerous to status quo, and that we need our government to be able to take away some of our rights in order to combat this movement. And that the only movement only happens because this, this, the, the intelligence community makes this happen. Right. And it's interesting that you bring up Charles Manson because I saw a report from a journalist and entertainment journalist that presented evidence that he was possibly a CIA asset. I looked into it and it was pretty compelling. Again, that's a whole other uh, story there, but it's, it is very, very interesting. Now, um, as far as, uh, you know, May 4th and what happened in demonizing anti-war protesters, unfortunately, what the mainstream and the establishment has done a really good job of is uh, demonize anti-war protesters in a way where if you question these uh, ongoing endless wars, that somehow means that you're uh, anti-American, anti-US, and also anti-troops, uh, um, that you do not support the troops, which of course we know as Americans is uh, something that is potentially really harmful to somebody's reputation, especially if you're in politics, but they've done a really good job of putting both of those things together. If you question the wars, it means you're um, anti-troops, which actually doesn't make sense because if you did support troops, you would not want them to be fighting in these senseless wars. And yeah. I, it, exactly. It's like, why do you want, you have your sons, your daughters, right. and these people want trans people in the military, your son daughters, to die for bankers in foreign wars. It just ma makes no sense. My favorite part of the show is me just screaming, and then you basically calm, saying this. <laughs> it's just like, ah! you're like, yeah, basically. You know, it's like Beauty and the Beast going on here. So let's get into that day. Uh, it's just very interesting. So you were talking about the fires. That, that happened on what, May 2nd? Yes, that was the evening of May 2nd, and it was earlier that day that the governor called in the National Guard to be present on campus, and so the National Guard arrived on Sunday, May 3rd, and if you look at photographs from May 3rd when the National Guard was there, it looks like a war zone. It does not look like a college campus in small town Ohio in America's Midwest. It literally looks like a war zone. And it's there are so many lies, deception as to what happened on that day. Of course, now more of the truth has come out. I think it's pretty well accepted that intelligence was heavily involved on what happened on the days leading up to it and also the pretty shameless cover up as well. But initially, I mean, it was accepted for politicians, uh, governors, other leaders and officials to advocate for more death. So we've come a long way, but we're still far from getting the truth out. Unfortunately, the university has not helped in that process. 
Of course not, man. Of course not. Because then, you know, nobody wants to be called a spook. And that's exactly what would happen. You know, so we have these documents that come out. And I'm looking at some of them from your article uh, where these faces are redacted. This reminds me a lot of exactly what they did with the JFK, uh, you know, Trump's JFK dump. Like they redacted every name except for George Bush Sr. And he was on his deathbed. Uh, and then you saw the same thing with uh, 9-11 with the dancing Israelis. When those information was uh, dumped, all their faces are redacted. All their names are redacted. Even though there's a million videos with the dancing Israelis talking about being in uh, Jersey that day and what they were doing there. But yeah, why would you redact these names? Well, because then it could come out and probably... My favorite, well, probably because a lot of these guys are still alive. So uh, I actually did have to, and again, it was something that I really had to think about in the days leading up to the publication. There's one document, I believe I am the first to publish it. I, I checked extensively. Um, it is an internal correspondence between the uh, Kent police. And it's where they admit that there's a mod squad, which is, which is of course, uh, undercover police operation going on. Now, I left in one of the names of Reinhold Moore because he was a known informant. This has been reported on. Now, there are several other people, like 20 other, 30 other people on that list. And I had to make the tough call. Do I redact it? Do I not? So I'll explain why I did. When I looked up these names, many of them were deceased. Many of them were no longer alive. There was a few who are still alive. And I thought potentially for this to come out, while it's not because I agree with what they did, because I do not agree. And I think they should be held accountable for participating and involving themselves in this. Um, I just felt that unfortunately, there could be some sort of risk to their lives, to their reputations, their uh, relationships that they have. I just wasn't sure about it. So my best judgment, I chose to redact the names. I thought it's probably more important that we know that there was a mod squad on the campus operating, but maybe in the future that information um, will be unredacted uh, in the future. But yeah, some people are still alive, but I had to make some tough journalistic uh, calls here. Well, you know, (laughs) the truth of the matter is, is like you could find yourself in some crazy, you know, positions legally. And, you know, and you're on your way, your journey to become a giant uh, independent journalist. But, you know, right now, I don't know if the political clout would be there to handle that kind of blowback from something like that. So, you know, it's not your job to, uh, you know, fight that war. Somebody, you know, established should go out there who has the, the, the financial and political clout to push back if they come after it. So I don't really have a problem with you, with what you oh, did. That, that, and would it get that much attention for something so old? Like if it was some like real clout, I'd be like, yo, release those names. Like if she has yeah. some real, yeah. It's well, not I much- mean, like, it's just the truth is just like, I mean, who knows what would happen and who knows who would push back. And it's kind of like, you know, I mean, it's, it's a tough call and I have no problems with uh, you doing that. So your interview with uh, Alan Frank, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, it was a great interview. Again, I do think I should um, make note uh, that of course, this is the work and the uh, in pretty much investigative journalism. He was not a journalist, but it, this is based off of the investigations of Professor Glenn Frank. He has uh, passed away several years ago, almost 30 years ago in 1993. As I said, he dedicated his 
the rest of his life to determining uh, what happened on that day. And just to give everybody watching a little background into who he is and what role he played on that day. After the shooting took place, which lasted about 13 seconds, Alan told me that there was silence for a brief few moments. And then there was screaming and crying. And his dad happened to uh, arrive at the scene at around that time, I believe. And he was helping getting people in ambulances, that sort of thing. And a lot of the students were outraged. There was like thousands of students who, or about a thousand students who then sat down in front of the National Guard. And the National Guard said to uh, his father, Glenn Frank, you know, these kids have got to uh, disperse. They have to, you know, move uh, away and get off the premise. And they weren't moving because they were obviously very upset at what, what had just happened. So then he gave this um, very impassioned plea and speech to basically tell the students, like, this will result in more deaths if you do not move. And for some reason, it just really touched a lot of people. And the students did uh, leave the premise, and he's credited with saving hundreds of lives. He was also a very uh, conservative uh, guy, Alan told me. Alan said he was also very conservative, very pro-America. Pro he said that his father was, quote, high on America. And this uh, event happened, and he was really disturbed by it. And as I said, dedicated his life to uh, seeking the truth. And so Alan talks about uh, the work that his father has done. And I do want to note, it's a real honor to be able to speak about this work and to uh, publish it and to get the truth out. So I'm very grateful to be able to do that. Um, one thing that I think is another important point to get across here is that people who were there on that day, these students are so deeply impacted by this and traumatized from this still to this day. I went to the university at the most recent an uh, anniversary, and that was on uh, obviously a couple months ago, and students returned, some of them fly from all over the country just to come back. And when they were talking to me about their experience, I mean, these are uh, grown adults that are just crying you know, so upset still so many years later um, because of what had happened. So not only is there obviously a um, political component to this, people's lives have been destroyed from this and people are deeply impacted by it. Alan is one of those people as well. Um, he fortunately has been very involved in the, you know, Kent State community to bring awareness to all of this, but it does need to be made clear that this has impacted so many lives. So did Alan ever talk to his father, uh, Glenn, about the shooter at all? Was there any research into him? You know, because we're seeing more and more these shooters uh, being like an MK Ultra type situation. Uh, you know, the, the, the kid who's blamed for Paradise, the Paradise School shooting, he was part of a very, very controversial youth program where they kind of went away and the, the methods in which they dealt with these children are quite questionable. Was there any investigation into the shooter himself? Well, there were multiple shooters. I think it's unclear as to who exactly um, killed the students. I think it's just Oh, okay. So I was, I was mistaking Texas A&M. So this was from uh, my apologies on that. I, I put two campus shootings together. So this was the, the national guard shot people, right? Is that what yeah. that was? Yeah. Okay. My yeah, apologies. I should have um, made that clear. Yeah. So this is a national guard. I think to this day, it's unclear if there was a call to fire. I've heard differing reports on that. So I'm not sure if there was a call to fire, but anyways, we don't know exactly who did it, but it was the national guard. One interesting document uh, that I came across was um, between the, 
it was an intelligence report and it was between the uh, chief criminal, I'm, I'm not sure, some investigator in the civil rights division here. And it said that the FBI was aware of two guardsmen who went to the university with the intent to shoot people and to shoot students. Now there's probably a lot more context to that, but it's just in a, an internal uh, document. So it seemed that these uh, guardsmen were very much or at least these two in particular, were very much wanting to harm the students. And I think it also goes back to the demonizing of um, anti-war protesters. I'm sure that they saw these students as like getting in the way of America, saving the world, and that they're anti-American kids and that they wanna uh, destroy um, you know, the way our society is run. So there was probably a lot of hatred. And I think that the US military really like drives, uh, or really like amps that up in people to get them to do these certain acts. Oh, I'm sure, man. I'm sure they sent somebody in there, uh, an agent provocateur. It doesn't, and it could be on both sides as well. And neither, and both sides could not know the other side is there. And they could be like, you could have, uh, you know, agents most likely uh, uh, masquerading as protesters. And then you could have People who have been asked to, you know, if you got to do it, you got to do it, pull the trigger, you know, because these guys are anti-American and it's just a powder keg of chaos, which then starts this movement to be like, you know, demonize anti-war people. Yes, 100%. Absolutely. Another thing that I came across, and again, I can't independently verify this, but I found it to be so interesting, so disturbing. It could be completely false, but I decided I'm just going to publish this because it's been so many years. Many of these people are, are passed away. And if this doesn't get published now, it may never get published. And in Glenn Frank's documents, these are handwritten notes where he was um, speaking with, it was a phone call he had with one of the police officers, Bob Winkler. This is uh, September, 1989. And uh, this, in this particular phone call, I'm gonna pull it up here to look at the document. So in this particular phone call, he is told by the police, Glenn Frank, again, the professor was told that he was on an assassination list with the uh, Kent State president at the time and several others. There was also discussion about paid undercover agents. I redacted their names because again, some of them were still um, alive. But the point here to take away is the fact that he was possibly on an assassination list, but that did not come from one person. This also came from another professor, Barkley McMillan. He has passed away. And um, this man told Glenn Frank that there were death lists, like seven or eight of them, and that he, the Kent State president, was on this death list. And um, this call was from 1989, so several years after the shooting took place. So obviously, it seems if there was a death list, they were trying to get rid of the people who were in search of the truth. Um, again, I can't independently verify this, but um, when Glenn Frank was on the phone call with this man, Barkley McMillan, he had a weird feeling about him. And he said, hey, like, how do you know this? Like, are you CIA? And he said to him, uh, well, we've had a close relationship over the past years. Uh, this comes at a time when there was a program to infiltrate the universities with the intelligence community. So um, again, I can't emphasize enough, I can't verify this, but it's just something that's very interesting to you know, think about that they would go as far as to assassinate people who were looking or who were searching 
or the truth. Unbelievable. Unbelievable, man. Unbelievable. And you find it, you know, look at, look at the Vegas shooting. The guy was driving a uh, plane that was owned by the CIA or the FBI. He has connections to that. And I mean, it's just unbelievable. And it's like, you know, it's all done to get a reaction for a solution. They want to give you this. And when the story falls apart, which now we have the ability to instantly do analysis of what is going on. And then the story starts to fall apart very quickly. I mean, look at Vegas. Has anything ever been resolved from that? No, of course no. not. Because they don't want you looking at that. I mean, yeah. it makes no sense. None of it makes sense. From the windows broken to the helicopters, to the amount of round shot, to the amount of guns in there. It makes no sense whatsoever. And the same thing with this man. And it's just like, we know Nixon was wanted to infiltrate the anti-war movement to destroy from within. And that's constantly what we see happening again. And you know, you saw the same thing with Occupy Wall Street. I mean, in Seattle, there was a cop who, who like, he was, he was undercover and he got surrounded and he pulled out his gun and his badge and it turned out he was a cop. We saw that in Minneapolis with the umbrella man, the guy breaking windows with an umbrella and people were following going, are you a cop? And he didn't say anything. He walked off. We see it happen over and over and over again because I believe people are peaceful, loving people that they need to be provoked to elicit a response so they can give us this solution. And then we fast forward to January 6th. The exact same thing is going on and they want to silence all of the dissidents of, uh, of journalists. And so I know you wanted to talk a little bit about Julian Assange as well. Uh, any thoughts you have on that? Yeah, so it is uh, very connected to your last point, uh, considering the fact that people who are dissidents who challenge the establishment and authority are unfortunately going to be targeted. Um, Julian Assange is a prime example of that. Um, he exposed the US military industrial complex among a number of other things, and now he's being punished for that good journalism. It is a case that I um, followed closely. I covered the extradition hearings in London. Despite a UK judge blocking the extradition request, Assange is still in prison, Belmarsh prison. It is one of, it is the worst prison in the UK. It's where it, it houses uh, the country's most dangerous criminals, murderers, rapists, etc. That is where he is held. That's where a journal, an award-winning journalist and publisher is being held right now the case will be heard on appeal. The US government represented by the Crown Prosecution Service has been given uh, limited ability or limited permission to appeal the judge's ruling. So now the angle that they're taking is that the US is changing its tone now. And they're saying, oh, uh, Assange, we, we're gonna provide some assurances here that Assange will not be held under Sam's restrictions, which the best way to explain that briefly is just an extreme form of isolation. He won't, they're saying he won't be held under these restrictions and that he won't be held in ADX Florence, which is a supermax. That doesn't mean that he's not gonna be held in another supermax. So it's incredibly misleading, these new assurances from the US government and also too, 
in this, uh, with these new assurances, the head of the CIA at any moment could change their mind and place him under Sam's restrictions and could put him in ADX Florence. And this is the same CIA that targeted him, um, his six month old baby, his entire family, they tried to assassinate him. Do we really think that the CIA is not going to uh, flip a switch and put him under these Sam's restrictions? So that's where the case is at right now. And I just wanna encourage everybody to keep sounding the alarm here and to keep supporting him because uh, his fate is, in, is inherently tied to the fate of other journalists, activists, and this case um, really impacts the public's right to know as well. So I just want to encourage everybody to keep supporting Julian Assange. Well, my question is, didn't one of the witnesses who like basically claim they committed some kind of sexual assault or something along the lines of that has completely recanted his story? that there are no witnesses now to any kind of sexual assault? Well, this witness, Sigi Thor Darson, was um, a WikiLeaks volunteer for a very brief time. While he was volunteering, he embezzled like over 50, 000, more than $50,000 from the organization. He's a known liar, cheater. And um, just a few years ago, he was also uh, tried and convicted on um, sexual charges with minors. This is the person that the U.S. government relied on for um, evidence in the case. And this man said now is saying that he made up all of the allegations against Assange related to hacking that really broadened the scope of the conspiracy to commit computer intrusion charge. He is now recanting those statements. He said he made it all up so he could get immunity. In this case is still going forward. It is so unbelievable. So what that shows is that the US, intel well, all intelligence agencies are very corrupt, in particular the US, and the fact that they have absolutely no case that they had to uh, reach out to a known child predator and a fraudster and a liar in a criminal to be their star witness. It's really just shameful. They have no case. Uh, well, I mean, we saw that with a lot of stuff going on with Iraq, the, the informants on the ground were all complete and utter scumbags. Uh, we've seen it over and over again. I mean, I mean that what, what was the name of that one podcast serial that got into the, the gentleman who um, was convicted of uh, killing that girl from high school and it just like the guy that was the informant has now like committed so many crimes and they just let him off, which is a lot with the same thing that they did with Charles Manson. Like Charles Manson would like commit crime after crime and just walk out of prison. Like nothing happened, jail, nothing, nothing. That's how you know that there is a, a dark hand at work. And what it all comes down to is that I believe in my heart of hearts that Julian Assange has in fact uh, is, is the catalyst for the flip in what we traditional see, traditionally see liberals as. Because before the whole WikiLeaks dump and everything that was anti-Obama, you know, it was very easy to know who the good guys were and who the quote-unquote good guys were and who the quote-unquote bad guys were. Well, now that this comes out that, you know, that Obama's drone striking everybody, the U.S. government and the military is committing war crimes at a historic clip. Now, all of a sudden, who the good guys, who the bad guys are, have completely and utterly flipped. 
And now you got guys like John Cusack right now completely destroying his legacy by saying that, that Julian Assange was a Trump guy and that he helped get Hillary elected. And I'm like, dude, I cannot believe I used to love your movies. And now all is being revealed. And I, I think we are really in the age of awareness and more and more is being revealed. And it's not a cue thing or anything like that. It really is that the internet is like the internet lets you know. And yes, there is a lot of disinformation out there. Obama renewing the right for, you know, the U.S. government to use propaganda against his people, which they always were doing. Now it's just officially allowed. Uh, I think more and more people are starting to see what the truth is. And they're starting to, like you said earlier, starting to pull their their energy, their time and their money out of the system. And I personally think they're freaking out. Hey, Taylor, I have a question. Yeah, go on. I was going to ask you a question. Hey, Taylor, uh, with uh, John McAfee dying and then Edward Snowden saying he could be next, is John, is Julian Assange suicidal? Is that a possibility? Would... Well, it's absolutely a concern. That's a great question. Um, his mental health is in decline, as you would expect for somebody who's been confined in um, an embassy for nearly 10 years. And then now in his uh, third, going on third year in this prison, in a terrible prison. So it, it was in fact his mental health that prevented him from being extradited. The judge ruled that it would be oppressive to uh, extradite him to the United States and place him in the US prison system. Uh, and also on top of that, because of his mental health uh, concerns, mental health issues. So yes, there are uh, concerns for his health, his well-being, and it was the one one of the reasons why he was not extradited to the United States. And in fact, uh, the evidence for his health was so compelling that the U.S. is not allowed to appeal any of the medical evidence. XG, was your now was your question though about? I thought you were kind of tongue in cheek asking about his mental health and you were actually asking if he was going to be suicided. Is that, is that also a concern possibly that, I mean, I know that we've, we've seen them try to get to him. We've seen these weird shadow figures, especially when he was in the embassy, apparently they were just always waiting for somebody to slip up, try to sneak him out. And they were, they were going to get him. Is that, is that even whispered about around, around his camp that you know of? Well, it, again, it's, absolutely a possibility because it has come out that they already tried to assassinate him while he was in the embassy. The reason why, uh, and they is, let me be clear, U.S. intelligence via a private company, UC Global. So uh, U.S. intelligence uh, through a private, to just put this uh, in simple terms, contracted a, a private company to which, whose job it was to protect the embassy not surveil the people in the embassy. That's what happened. They turned the um, the cameras into a surveillance uh, network where they surveilled Assange and everybody who visited him. This included his um, doctors who visited him and his uh, attorneys. So think about that. The uh, privileged legal information that he and his attorneys have access to has now been in the hands of the people who are trying to prosecute him. That should be sufficient to drop this case. But to get back to your question, um, it did come out in court that there were efforts to use this private company to assassinate Assange. And then several of the employees of that company said, hey, like we, we can't do this. This is 
we're, we're not going to participate in this assassination. They were essentially whistleblowers, and that's why this has all been brought to light. So I think the risk is certainly always there. Listen, here's the biggest issue that we're having right now, and the sure sign the system is just broken. We have kangaroo courts. We have, we have judges that are not enforcing the law. I mean, in this particular case of Julian Assange, the judge is so obviously biased, whether she's taking money from the other side or she's invested in the other side's movement. We've seen it over and over again. And that's what we see what's going on with the United States. And I know Whitney Webb, who I, I respect so much, is talking about how, you know, they purposely are trying to destroy our faith in the um, electoral process, which I totally agree with her about. But you have judges throwing out obvious cases and evidence that would show that's exactly what happened now we live in a banana republic man our our military and our 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 law enforcement are doing nothing to enforce the laws of the constitution and if they're not going to do it what's going to happen i think it's ridiculous what's your thoughts before we end here taylor yeah, I mean, that was a great uh, summary there. It goes down to the fact that we cannot have faith in elected leaders. The uh, establishment is completely corrupt. And I also think that there is an element of sort of this unspoken uh, awareness and knowledge that if you do um, challenge the system, say if this judge were to rule on the side of the defense on all counts, on all pieces of evidence, there would possibly, I'm just speculating, possibly be some consequences for that judge. She probably would be um, removed as a judge. We've seen that happen before. So I think there's an, an unspoken uh, awareness as to what could happen if you do challenge them. But I think that it, information is key here, information and uh, bringing awareness to other people. And I hope that with my article that I put forward while I know on May 4th, 1970, while I know it's not breaking news, I hope that it does uh, show everyone that despite a passage of time, we can still to some extent hold these agencies accountable. You know, you brought up many recent events that are similar. And I just hope that this gives people hope that uh, we can possibly get answers. And we do that through uh, good journalism and through the very brave and courageous people who are willing to blow the whistle as well. Well, I think the importance of your article and your evidence is that those who don't learn, learn history are doomed to repeat it. And that's, I think, the biggest issue is that, you know, they keep using the same playbook over and over again. And we have to get really, really active on a local level. The federal government has to concede to state rights. And that's where we have to do all of our work. And it's like, guess what, everybody? You got to get really comfortable with being uncomfortable and politically engaged in, in your local politics. I just talked to my friend Robin, who like they went to their local educational board and got them to flip the mask mandate for kids because parents got involved. You have to get involved on a local level, man. The federal government's gonna, they're just doing crazy stuff. We have to do stuff on a federal, on a local level. We need to start getting, we have to, we have to hold our law enforcement and our judges accountable. 
to the laws. They must enforce the laws. You know, when people are going to jail for uh, not having masks on, okay, and, but yet they're letting pedophiles out with a slap on the wrist. We have to hold these people accountable. Taylor, thank you so much for coming on. If we can finally tell all of our listeners where they can find you. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. Um, you can find me, I'm pretty active on Twitter at underscore Taylor Hudak. You could find my work at Activism Munich on YouTube, as well as The Last American Vagabond and talkliberation.substack.com. All right, please send me all those links so I can put them in the description. Taylor, you crushed it. I, I think we might be almost sold out, but I hope if we're not, if you're in San Diego, you will come join us this Saturday. Uh, if not, we got other gigs coming up. I love you all very much. Thank you guys for the support. Thank you for helping us get the number 58 on comedy on iTunes. Yes, Taylor, this is a comedy show. Uh, I hope you enjoyed your time here and uh, we will talk to you soon. Take care, everybody. We go deep, homeboy. Open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. Dude, you just blew my mind. Tim foil hack. Tim foil hack.